Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello and welcome to Fresh Take from the What Fresh Hell podcast. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we are talking to Amanda Knox. She's an exoneree, a journalist, public speaker, and author of the New York Times bestselling memoir, Waiting to be Heard. Between 2007 and 2015, Amanda spent nearly four years in an Italian prison and eight years on trial for a murder she did not commit. Amanda went on to host the Scarlet Letter Reports, a Vice Facebook series about the public vilification of women. And she's a feature contributor to CrimeStory.com, where she has written extensively about criminal justice reform. She's also the co-host with her partner, Christopher Robinson, of the Labyrinths podcast, which delves into stories of getting lost and found again. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Welcome. Before we kind of get into our bigger discussion, tell us just for people who might not know you, I realize this could be nine podcasts, your story, but the brief version. <laughs> Honestly, it's not even really my story. It's my roommate's story. I was studying abroad in Italy, living with a two Italian women and one British young woman. And one day, local burglar broke into our home. She was my British roommate was alone and she was raped and murdered by this local burglar. And the only reason why my name entered into any of all of this is because the local authorities very early on just decided upon a theory of the case that was very scandalous and very salacious and not based on any evidence, just that there was this crazy satanic sex game that I orchestrated in order to murder my roommate. And, you know, it's a whole long saga, but the ultimate end of the story is the actual killer was convicted and I was acquitted, but it took a long time and I spent a long time in prison fighting for my innocence in the meantime. So... And there's an excellent Netflix documentary called Amanda Knox, if you are listening and want to understand this story in more depth. What we do want to talk to Amanda today, you host a podcast called Labyrinths, as we mentioned, and it's on this theme of being lost, journeying through the sensation of being lost, and hopefully at some point finding yourself again. Yeah. Obviously, a story that's really resonant for you. And what led you to focus on that as the story that you wanted to tell in this podcast? What I've found since coming home is that being wrongfully convicted is a very mm. lonely experience because it's not like you meet everyone every day who's been to prison for something that they didn't do. Right. And very 
early on when I came home, I was struggling with this sense of isolation and loneliness. But I had this really powerful moment when I met a girl in one of my poetry classes at school who didn't know anything about me, but was just seemed to really like my poetry. And I really liked her poetry. We're in a poetry workshop together. And we actually liked each other so much that we were hanging out on the weekends, getting coffee and talking poetry. And one day she came to the coffee shop and was like, oh my God, you are Amanda Knox. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, you Googled me. Yeah. <laughs> and she was like, no, 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 don't misunderstand I was gang raped when I was 16 years old. And everything you talk about, the feelings that you experience of going through this traumatic experience and feeling like it's so overwhelming and it's just happening to you and you have no control, that feels to me like what it felt like to be gang raped at 16. Mm. And every time, what I'm finding is that Yes, the wrongful conviction experience is this very unique experience, but the feeling of it, the feeling of being lost in this like overwhelming circumstance and having to find your way out again, not knowing how to make your way through it is an experience that lots of people have in many different ways. A person who feels like they are lost and they are out of control of their circumstances and that other people are in charge of how their story turns out is a story that is extremely resonant for moms. Yes, absolutely. And I've discovered this because my husband and I are on our own fertility journeys. And like many people, we just assumed that as soon as you get off birth control and you start trying to get pregnant, well, lo and behold, you're going to get pregnant. And that was not our experience. And it was a deeply existential crisis that we went through because once you decide that you're going to be a parent, like something shifts in your mind, right? Like you've decided that you're going to take on this incredible journey and burden and you shift all of your priorities in your life before you even have a child in your life. And then to have that taken away from you for it seems like no reason there. It's just so unfair. And it was existential crisis really, really resonated with me in terms of my wrongful conviction experience. Cause it's like, the question is, why did I have a miscarriage? Like what happened? What did I do wrong? And it's like, well, maybe you didn't do anything wrong. And I didn't know how common this experience was. So what I did was I reached out on social media to say like, Hey, does anyone have an infertility experience? And oh my goodness, I was flooded with responses. And I so much love and support and also just these insane traumatic journeys that people had gone on. And I thought, wow, I have not heard a labyrinthine story like I've heard these women telling me, you know, again and again and again, I have to tell these women's stories. So that's what our latest episodes of Labyrinths are all centered on is these incredibly labyrinthine journeys of women and couples who are trying to have a baby and be parents and all of the obstacles that they encounter along the way that are unexpected and unpredictable and how they're grappling with them. And, you know, some people succeed. Some people have to reach an end of the road where they have to decide, oh, you know, maybe the next thing is I get another dog. And how do you wrap your mind around what that means to you and who that makes 
how that defines you even, right? Like being a parent is such a definitive part of you. And to have to recalibrate your own idea of yourself when you can't be a parent, like that is a whole other incredible, mind-blowing experience. So these are all the kinds of stories that we're talking about in these first episodes of the second season of Labyrinths that are coming out right now. I uh, had my own infertility struggles before my first child was born. He's 18 now, so it was a long time ago. But I do remember it as, you know, it was one of the most difficult periods of my life for sure. And it's the isolation. It occurs to me that when you're in a labyrinth, right, you can't, you have the high edges all around you and Mm -hmm. you can't see that there's somebody next to you on that journey. And you are, as the, the woman in the equation, your partner can be as supportive, they can be the most supportive partner in the world, but it's still your body that is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. And you still feel the shame of that and that the shame and isolation makes it worse and is not how you're going to get out of the labyrinth, right? But it is something that you're struggling with and that form of imprisonment as well. Yeah. And the isolation, it comes from like that feeling of isolation comes from a lot of different directions I've found because there's the the more obvious one, which is that we don't really talk about these issues in the open air at all, really. Like there's this feeling that infertility is this incredibly private personal thing that you just deal with on your own. And many of the people I spoke to didn't even tell their parents that they were going through this experience. They just felt like they had to, for some reason, struggle through it alone. But then there's this other level of isolation, which is that you're in this constant limbo as the carrier of the potential baby, wondering is it just me or is it me and someone else that is in my body right now? And I like one of the more impactful things that someone told me and when they were describing their journeys was here I was, you know, I had the pregnancy app and I was thinking, okay, today it's as big as a blueberry. Today it's as big as a raspberry. And then she goes in for an ultrasound and discovers that there was no embryo and it was never there. And she said like, that was the most lonely that I've ever felt, that I was just me in my body this whole time. And like, it was a new definition of loneliness. And how do you grapple with that? Like, where did all that love go? Because you're not just aware of a thing that's a part of you, like you love it. And it is your future. It is the most important thing to you. And if it's a ghost, what do you do with that? I would sense that having been through this extraordinary experience that you had as being wrongfully convicted and serving time in prison, that do you feel like you have insights into loneliness that are informative for people you're talking to about infertility? And then taking it past, there's a tremendous amount of loneliness in being a parent, honestly. You know, the struggles that are going in in your house, these themes unfortunately, continue after you have a child, that you have things that happen in your house that you might feel shameful about, or you might feel that your kid is not doing what other people's kids are doing. Do you feel that that experience of loneliness that you experience in this very profound way help you through this part of your life? Yes. So I have found that when I was going through my wrongful imprisonment, you know, I was facing a 26-year sentence at 20 years old, you know, So I was thinking, wow, like, first of all, there's the existential crisis of being convicted in the first place, right? Like, I thought up to the moment of my conviction that there's no way that I could be convicted. Like, the truth matters. So, like, 
ultimately, yes, I'm on trial, but I'm going to be acquitted. And when I was convicted, suddenly all of my, like everything that I sort of grounded all of my hope in, which is the truth, (laughs) is gone. I had, I couldn't place my faith in that anymore. And so I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be spending 26 years in prison. And one of the things that I always thought that I was going to be a mom is not going to be available to me anymore. And that mental process of like sitting there going, okay, I thought my life was going to be one way. And it's clearly not. How do I make my life that I have in front of me worth living? Hmm. How do I recontextualize what I actually have in front of me as something that could be of value to me. And it's not what I imagined and it's not what I hoped for, but surely there must be something valuable to it. And you just like, it's a day by day process of thinking, getting up in the morning and going, what can I do today to make life worth living? And to think of myself as someone who has a life worth living. So having goals that are not the same goals that I had before, but which are going to be fulfilling to me. And that's like to deconstruct everything that you've always just sort of assumed you could hope for and to like reevaluate and try to find new things to have hope for. It takes time. Like it's hard to let go of your dreams. It's hard. It's really hard. It's hard in the context of this unbelievable thing that happened to you. And it's hard in the context of a person who's looking at a child who is different than the child they imagined. And let's break that down and talk more about that after this break. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different and fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use fresh to get 
$100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen dot me. And use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amanda, you were talking before about, you know, having hope. I'm trying to apply the particulars of your incredible story to this more general idea of of being in a labyrinth and feeling lost. And it's easy to look at it now and be like, well, you had hope and then you were exonerated and you got out. And that person should also have hope for whom things might have gone a different way. How do you have that hope when you're in the labyrinth and you can't see out? You really don't know if you're going to get out. We know the end of your story. I know the end of my story that my infertility journey ended with a kid who's taller than me now. (laughs) But when you can't see the ending and you really don't have reason to have faith that it'll all work out, you really Mm -hmm. can't. And yet you have to have the hope. How do you find that? Yeah, I think the tricky part with all of these journeys, um, whether you are succeed and getting pregnant and having a kid or you don't, is that there are no guarantees. And the fact that there are no guarantees ever is Mm. an important lesson. (laughs) It's an important life lesson that we should always remember because again, like we have this idea of like five years down the line, 10 years down the line, but ultimately we can only see this far ahead. And sometimes this far ahead is like today. And then something could happen and change at any moment. And I have found that the best coping strategy for me has been to be very mindful of the present moment. Because I think that we can always get really sort of trapped in this idea of like, what is the past that led us up to this moment? Or what is this future that we envision for ourselves? And we sort of forget that like the only thing that really we ultimately have is right here, right now. And that may be my relationship with my husband as we're struggling through this journey and we're trying and we're trying and we need to be mindful of how that is changing us and how that is impacting us. Or it could be like, I have my 18 year old son now and here he is. And this is the person that he is. And how do I be the best version of myself for this person right now, regardless of what happened in the past and regardless of what's going to happen tomorrow? It's really like taking being mindful that like there's only so much that you can control. And once you realize that, suddenly it feels like there's actually a thing in poetry where they say like, oh, limitations are actually like the source of a lot of creativity. Because when you have unlimited mm. ideas of what can happen or what you can do, suddenly you get writer's block. And the same. <laughs> they also say that on Top Chef. That's why they do these <laughs> wild contests. Because they're like, if you can only cook with like wooden spoons or whatever. And like squids. <laughs> yeah, the people who've been overthinking it make this amazing meal because the constraints actually help them. Yes. It's the same thing as a thunder shirt for a dog or like a weighted blanket. It's like you kind of need something holding you down sometimes. Yeah. These experiences that feel very, very limiting and can feel like they are taking away your hope are actually opportunities to focus on the hope that is available to you. And so redefining your sense of what you want, which is to be the best mom you can be to the person that you love, right? And not having these visions of what could have been or what should be, but just what is and what can I do right now that matters. I think that is the thing that I've carried with me as I go through this. And as when people reach out to me wanting to find solidarity and hope, that's what I tell them. It's just like, right now you feel powerless 
but you're not. Even when I was like alone in a jail cell with no freedom to hope for, like there were still things that I could get up and do every day that made me feel like this life is worth living. And it might have been just writing a letter to my mom. And that was like the one thing I did that day that mattered. But you know what? It mattered. That phrase, the hope that is available to you, if you take anything away from the conversation, that's a beautiful phrase. We're talking about a place that you return to in crisis to some degree, because the reality is, and I'm sure you found this even in prison, every day is not the day that you're like, today I will focus on the good of these children and (laughs) my husband's smile will get me through this. Some days you're just putting one foot in front of the other (laughs) or some days you're just living because even I'm sure you had Tuesdays in prison where you were like, all right, I'm just getting up, eating my dinner, reading this book, going to bed. Like It's like just another day. (laughs) But I think that what we're talking about for people who may be in any stage of this labyrinth for any reason during their journey is what do you go back to? What are your foundations? Mm. The way that you describe that like hope that's available to you, that's those moments when you're in the corner of the labyrinth, you're stuck. Yeah, definitely. Even if today isn't the thing that like, if you're in the labyrinth and the wrong turn is just like right up ahead of you, it could be a minute from now. If you need to come back to like literally right now, this second, what can I do? Is it simply just closing my eyes for a second and taking a deep breath? Like, is that the hope available to me? (laughs) Amy, you were just saying that, right? About labyrinths. Like the thing you like about the labyrinth is it means there's something else to come. Well, I guess I was thinking about like the metaphor of a labyrinth to me is that there are hallways that lead nowhere. There are dead ends, Mm -hmm. like having to turn around, trying something for 10 minutes and then having to work back to this place doesn't mean you failed, although I would certainly interpret it as a failure if I was in this, (laughs) you know, labyrinth right now. But it's part of the labyrinth. The labyrinth is constructed that way for you to make Mm -hmm. some wrong turns before you make the right ones. It's kind of supposed to happen. Do you have to sort of build that into your present moment mindedness that it's okay that you just spent six months on a approach to this problem that proved to be not fruitful? I mean, yeah. (laughs) Like, What do you do in that moment? So I've definitely experienced a lot of wrong turns and dead ends or seemingly dead ends along my journey and my wrongful conviction, right? Like I was convicted. I was sentenced to 26 years in prison. And that was after spending a year on trial fighting for my innocence. So I know what it feels like to have gone down this road and had expectations about how it would end. Like, surely I'm doing everything that needs to happen. Like, the truth matters. This is going to end up the way that I thought it was. And then to have that collapse and have to recalibrate, like that's having gone down a long path in the labyrinth and then arrived at a dead end. And then you hit that brick wall and you're like, oh no, it was all for naught. Oh no, it was all for naught. Yeah. Well, first of all, nothing is all for naught. I think that there, it is always possible to find meaning and value in even those most devastating experiences. It's just a matter of managing what your expectations are, which isn't to say that I never should have hoped and believed for the opportunity to be found innocent. That Indeed, that's something that never went away for me over the course of my wrongful conviction. But what I had to realize was that there was no guarantee that that was actually the outcome of my life. And that Actually, what matters is not necessarily the outcome, whether I go home or not, whether or not I'm found innocent, but 
how I am experiencing my life in the moment. And this is where it relates to everyone's experience and particularly the experience of trying to get pregnant or being a parent is we have ideas about where we want to be and where we want to go and what each step, what putting one foot ahead of the other is taking us to. And then when we are surprised to find ourselves in a totally different part of the labyrinth that we did not want to be at, we have to think, well, you can think it was all for naught, or you can think I've arrived someplace and I have learned something along the way. And who am I now? Now what? And is there something valuable that I can take from this experience that is going to lead me down a better path? Or is, you know, like, I can't say that as I was sitting in my prison cell thinking about never being able to be a mom and losing, you know, the best years of my life to prison. I can't say that I was just sitting there the entire time thinking, I'm just going to be the best person I can be and it's going to be great. (laughs) I'm really learning from this experience. How lucky. Yeah, how lucky. I, you know, I didn't feel lucky. I'm going to be honest. I felt sad. It was the saddest I've ever felt. But I never thought this is not worth living. Mm. And I never thought this is not something that I can take and make a part of me in a way that is valuable to myself. Yeah. I think the biggest sort of obstacle that I faced actually was with my mom, because my mom, speaking of moms, you know, my mom had visions for my life Mm. and she very, very much could not and would not accept that I could be an innocent person spending the vast majority of my life in prison for a crime I didn't commit. She just could not accept it and fought every step of the way, did everything she possibly could. And thank goodness, because it's thanks to my family in large part that I'm free today. But there was a conflict between her and I where at a certain point in my letters to her, I was describing you know, my ideas for how I could make my life worth living, mm-hmm. even in the environment that I was in. And she was really resistant to that. Yeah, she didn't want to give up. Yeah, she didn't want me. She thought that that was me being depressed, that I was giving in, that I was giving up. And that wasn't true. It didn't mean that I wasn't still on my path to fight for my innocence. But what it did mean was that I had my eyes wide open. Right. And I was very, very present in my circumstances, trying to not just think about the life that I should have been living, but the life that I was living right now. And that was incredibly valuable and something that I take with me today, someone who is on her own journey to become a parent. Yeah, I have such a strong reaction now thinking about your mom. I want to talk about that after this break. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. We agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches. I get cranky and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to seeing optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S P O R T S R E S E A R C H dot com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. It's interesting to me, as I have become a mom, and I've been in this mom game for 12 years now, not quite as long as Amy, it amazes me how I was just watching some TV show the other day, and I was like, I think the mom who doesn't want them to go to the party has a point. And the whole point of the movie was the kids are fun and the mom is lame. And I notice when I think about your story, when I first heard your story, to me, it was thinking about me being you and in your position. And as I've become older and I was revisiting your story, getting ready for the podcast, I was like, mm-hmm. poor mom. Yes. Like, I only think about your mom in this story. And I think it ties into what we really are talking about, which is this idea of like the outcome of the labyrinth. How does it turn out and how do we control it? It's one thing, as we're talking about, to do that for yourself and to say, okay, I am not being able to have a baby. I have a kid with special needs. That's not what I was expecting. This labyrinth isn't going where I thought. Mm -hmm. I think it's really different, this idea of our kid's journey isn't turning out the way we thought. It's their labyrinth, and it's really hard. Your poor mom was outside your labyrinth watching you suffer and not being able to. I mean, she was doing what she could to provide guidance, but she was outside of your experience. Yeah, it was so I feel so bad for my mom, especially now that I'm like on my journey to become a parent, I can suddenly understand a little bit more. (laughs) And again, like I'm not even close to being there yet. But like, the one thing I knew the entire time that I was going through my experience was that if my mom could have traded places with me, she would have. Yeah, without question. Every mom listening to this just burst into tears. I'm just saying that. You would. It's so true. Yeah, she would have taken it from me if she could have. And the fact that she had the courage to come and 
visit me every time and go through the process of getting patted down and giving up her phone and everything just so she could spend an hour with me in a visitation room and then having to leave me there. Mm. Just every time leaving me there was the hardest moment of her life because she there was no choice. She was watching as this experience was changing me. And it was changing me in ways that she was afraid of and that she didn't fully understand because she had, you know, wasn't there to hold my hand inside the prison environment and experience what I was experiencing inside of there. And all she could do was be there and observe and be a witness and make it so that I didn't feel like I was out of touch with the life that I had before. And this is actually, I think the moms will really appreciate this. So in the wrongful conviction community, there's a whole community of people. There's the Innocence Project, and that's been exonerating people here in the United States for decades now. One of the founders of the first Innocence Project, Peter Newfeld, a good friend of mine, he was telling me this really beautiful, but also kind of sad fact that there is one determining factor of whether or not a wrongfully convicted person is going to succeed at reintegrating back into society after they have been through the wrongful imprisonment experience and exonerated, no matter how long it took. And sometimes people are inside for four years like me or 40 years, and it takes that long for someone to finally be freed and exonerated. And he was telling me, you know, I don't have any studies on this. There's no, you know, data per se. But as someone who has been fighting for people's innocence for so long, I can tell you that the one determining factor of whether or not someone is going to be okay afterwards is if their mom was there for them and if their mom is still alive when they get out. And that's it. That's the one thing. Was the mom there and is she still there? That's what he has seen being the one determining factor of whether or not someone can get through the psychological upset of being imprisoned and finally getting out and having to restart their life all over again. I don't want to be facile about it at all and make these metaphors to your situation that are too much of a stretch. But what Amy said, you're looking into your child's labyrinth. That is kind of what we're all doing. We don't really have a lot of control about our kids' outcome, except for the thing that you're talking about, which is to be there and that our kids know that we are there with this tremendous amount of love, but that they have to navigate it on their own. They'll find us every stop along the way, but that we're not really running their labyrinth for them. Absolutely. And that's just the truth, because as much as we want to run it for them. <laughs> oh, man, we sure do. I'm like, I can move that wall. Look, turn left. You can't do it. And that is its own labyrinth. How do you be the person watching from above going, turn left, turn left? <laughs> right. How did it work out within your mom in the end with her saying, no, no, you have to keep the faith and you saying, well, this is how I'm surviving day to day. I'm thinking about what's possible right now, the hope that's available. I mean, I think that we learned from each other, ultimately. Just because you're a mom doesn't mean that you have all the answers, necessarily. Her role in maintaining optimism and faith that it would all work out and that I would get back the life that I should have had was very important for me to like have that sort of always in the back of my mind. Someone is holding on to that. But at the same time, I also had to reveal to my mom that 
I'm not going to be coming out of this experience the same person that I was going in. I remember at one point, my mom wrote to me, I want you to just go back to being the happy person that you've always been. And I had to tell my mom, like, I love you, mom. And I know you love me. And try as I might, I'm not just going to be the same person after all of this. And we're going to have to rediscover each other on the other side of this. And that's okay. Because I think that the thing that matters is that we are seeing each other clearly and we are still trying to be our best selves in the moment given what we have. And leading up, you know, I didn't have a ton of life before all of this happened to me. I was 20 years old when I was arrested. Right, you were so young. I really grew up in this environment. And I think there are some things that have changed about me that my mom wishes were not the case. Like I have a lot more anxiety now (laughs) than I used to. But in other ways, I think that the fact that she was always there and was a foundation for me made it possible for me to come back into the world with far less anxiety than I could have had. She was always an emotional safety net that I could rely on even when I felt my most alone. That made all the difference. So in a way, we're both Mm, right. Right. (laughs) Go moms. Moms are the best. We love moms. (laughs) Go moms. Amanda, tell us a little bit about the Labyrinths podcast. So the Labyrinths podcast, it's a totally independent podcast, listener supported, that I produce, write, host, co-host with my husband, Christopher. And we look at stories of people who are feeling the most lost in their lives. And we've touched upon anything from true crime ethics and media and stories of a friend of mine was his wife or his partner became pregnant during the midst of COVID and she was like deported to another country. And so he's trying to be there to support her and he's not able to because of COVID restrictions. And so anytime someone has felt lost, they don't know how to get through their experience because it's so much bigger than them. I'm trying to build a bridge towards that experience and make that experience understandable to many different people from all walks of life. And also making sure that people feel like they own their own narrative. I think one of the sort of really difficult experiences that was part of my own labyrinth was feeling like here I am going through this incredible journey and the story isn't even my own. Mm -hmm. It belongs to all these other people who are writing, like who are authoring my experience. And how do I take back my own narrative so that I feel like I'm in control, not just of my journey, but my story. And that's what Labyrinth is all about, is trying to give back that sense of ownership, not just to your journey, but to your story, the story you tell yourself about your journey. Where can people hear Labyrinth? Is it everywhere you listen to podcasts, as we like to say? Absolutely. Everywhere you listen to podcasts. And you can follow me on social media, Twitter at Amanda Knox, Instagram at Amama Knox. And yeah, I'm so happy to have discussed this with you because it really is an experience that has resonance in way more fields than people give it credit for. So absolutely. I agree. I agree. We wish you all great luck on your parenting journey and thank you. Hope to have you back on in a couple of years to talk about what a nightmare it is having a toddler. <laughs> I hope so. Fingers crossed. That's our wish for you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Amina. This was an incredible conversation. 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us 